You're listening to The Sidebar by NYABJ, a show about the world of media through the lens of Black media makers. I'm Carolyn Adams. In this episode, Chapter President Bonita Sostre sits down with four dynamic women to speak about their experiences as producers, directors, and writers in the news and television industries. I'm so excited to have so many amazing women here. Um, as you guys already know, my name's Benita Sostre, and I am the NYABJ president, and I'm also a producer at CBS News for the Race and Culture Unit. So um, it's going to be a little bit of news in here, a lot of really good TV writing, executive producing, and all that fun stuff. So um, at a clock. We have her down here. She is an American fiction author and writer, producer for television and film. Um, she's known for her work at, with Little Fires Everywhere, um, When They See Us, and Empire that I was a huge watcher of and with all the Justin that <laughs> stuff going on, like I want to hear, oh, you know, um, some stories. Uh, we also have Tash Gray, um, the executive producer of some of the biggest shows like uh, Power Book 3, Raising Canaan, um, and I know you're a writer on P Valley and lots of other things here, there, and in between that you're going to be telling us about. Um, in Keichi, Okoro, Carol, I hope I got that one. Um, a writer, producer, and actor, and the executive producer of the CW drama All American Homecoming, which I've been loving. Um, I went to an HBC, I'm like, yes, this is just like <laughs> Hampton, but with a little more house and a little Spelman in there, and I'm, I'm loving all of it. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. And lastly, a fellow journalist, uh, Ileana Hagani. Did I get it? Did I screw it up? Okay, okay, I apologize. But um, she's freelanced for publications like Political, Teen Vogue, Elle Magazine, was a former CBS News uh, foreign desk producer, and is currently a contract producer over at AJ Plus. So you've been doing a lot. You like you look real young, but it's like you've been everywhere. So. <laughs> Um, so thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And um, we're going to get started. Um, Tash, can you share with us a bit about your career journey, how you got where you are? Just give it all to us. Sure. Um, first, thank you for having us. I'm excited to be here with people I admire and um, to give, I don't know, some insight or at least make you laugh. Um, so I <laughs> I. I'm actually an LA native and that has nothing to do with me getting in the industry because if you're from LA, the last thing you want to do is get in the industry. Um, <laughs> I, um, I went to UCLA. I'm from South, South LA, went to UCLA, went to graduate school um, and was out there helping um, nonprofits get grants and educational consulting and started writing a bunch of scripts and decided to try my hand at TV, which landed me at um, NBC's writers program. Um, and then after that, I did ABC's writing program, which landed me on a Disney show, which I did for over a year. And then a couple of other comedies. So I write both comedy and drama. And um, then about 2015 or so, I decided 2016, I would do both. Um, and I landed on a couple of dramas uh, by way of mentorship, basically people like Nketchi and, and Chael and a bunch of other people said, oh, she's gonna write drama now and read my script and said it wasn't bad. So I was like, thanks. <laughs> and yeah, and now I've you know found my way to, you know, 
executive producing my, you know, <clears throat> my own show and, you know, on a bunch of other shows that you've already mentioned. But it's really been by way of a lot of writing, a lot of writing and a lot of um, angels on earth that mentor me and, you know, uh, believed in me as well. So Tash, you're just gonna skip the part where you were directing plays and just hustling out here and creating. Yeah, I promise. Like, yeah. If we're gonna skip history, I'm just saying. <laughs> we have people on the panel that know you. Um, yes, I have directed shorts. I've directed plays. I've done two features, um, and yeah, I mean, I, there are so many hats to wear, and you know, if you're so fortunate, and you just want to do that, and un, un, you know, unlike some people, influencers out there saying we don't work hard, I worked very hard. Oh, <laughs> I worked, I worked very hard, um, and have been working very hard. And Katie is right. And I have done a little bit of everything, which means I'm going to make her talk about acting because I'm waiting for her to cast herself. Okay. <laughs> I should have kept quiet. I was just, I'm like, you're not going to be on a panel with me and undersell yourself. Yeah. We're going to talk about all your talents. That's important. Like, this is Women's History Month where everyone's getting their flowers now. Like, it's all about, <laughs> we were talking about flowers earlier. It's all about all that we've been doing. Um, so speaking of that, Attica, you've worked with Netflix shows. You have written not one, not two, but five books. Like, that's a lot. That's That's insane. So tell us a little bit about how that's come about, how you've done that path of writing fiction books, and also how did you get involved with Netflix? Um, well, I came out to Hollywood wanting to be a movie director. Like, that's what I thought I wanted to do. And I did the Sundance Labs, and I just thought that that was, I was on the path, and actually had for a little hot minute uh, a deal for my first film, and then it fell apart for reasons that this is, a, this is so long before Fruitvale Station and Moonlight and Black Panther. This was during the heyday of looking at at, at black. There was a there was a paucity of, of black independent films in the early two thousands, and there was a sense of like we can't raise foreign financing for these black American stories. And for my case, it was a rural black story. They're like nobody overseas cares about that. And so I went, oh, uh oh. Um, there's not I, what I heard as a twenty four year old young kid is there's not a business model for who you are because I knew I was always going to write about black stuff I was probably always going to write about black women I wanted to write about black rural stuff so I made this decision I would become a, a, a feature writer. I was like well if you don't want to write you don't want to make my stories then I'll just write the stories you already decided you were going to make so I became a feature writer movie writer for hire for over a decade the joke was on me because none of that stuff got made either. And then I was like, I don't want to do any of this anymore. I'm done. And I walked away from Hollywood and decided I took a second mortgage out of my house and decided to write books. I gave myself a year to write a novel. And that was good. And I had a nice life as a novelist until I realized, well, I can't really pay my bill. Like if you don't write Twilight, you can't really be living in Southern California on a book. Uh, and I don't know how to teach. I, don't, I have no skill set other than writing. So I in that time that I was writing books, TV got really interesting. And I thought, wait a minute, TV's now doing everything I wanted to be doing before. It's doing it now. I want to get in, I want to play. And I, I went back to my agents like, hey, y'all, I'm back. Uh, can we, can I, can I play too? And that landed me with Empire and that was its own roller coaster. And 
the when they see us of it all, that my first job with Netflix, that was just Ava. Ava, for whatever reason, had heard about me, her, had heard I like law and legal stuff. And she called me up and, and I said, please let me do this. Please let me do this. And that's how that job came about. And um, yeah, so it's been kind of a curly cue, um, not a straight line career path. What I think the more you hear from people and you hear from women, I think most women's career paths do not walk in a straight line. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And I love that Ava just kind of heard about you and thought you were wonderful. And you're like, hey, come, come do this thing over here because who doesn't want Ava to know their name? So yeah, I felt the same way. And I was like, I won't say begging, but I was like, you, you know, Ava, uh, I really like reading trial transcripts. I'll read all that stuff you don't maybe want to read. Because I, my husband's a lawyer, my dad's a lawyer, so I was really selling the part of me that likes legal minutia, and was like, "I'll take care of all that." No, that's great. Okay, we're getting Tash back. She had dropped yeah. off for a second, so I'm going to give her a second just to pop back in. Okay, okay, we got her back. Can you, Tash, you can hear us. Yes. Okay, great, great, great. All right, so I'm gonna head up to uh, Ileana because you're up here at the top part of my thing. You're a fellow news person just like me. Um, you mentioned that in the past you did some freelancing. Now you're luckily in a contract position, but tell us what it's like being a freelance producer, writer. How do you get those opportunities and what was your path to getting at a contract position now? Yeah, so I think I just wanna start off by saying that freelance can be a really great way to get a better staff position or and also to keep working on stuff that you really like but also I just want to say we live in a really tough time right now so mm. I have three pieces of advice the first one is just figure out if it's for you and it's okay if it's not the right time right now um you know it's for some people and it's not for others um some cons or there's no health insurance there mm. is not a steady income um, and, but you know, there's ways around it. Some people take on full-time positions such as copy editing to support freelance. So my first advice is weigh the pros and cons. My second piece of advice is be really, really good and organized at pitching. Like that's, that is mm. your job. So you are your pitches and you are your sources. So you need to have pitching down. Um, and I don't know, you know, I didn't know any of this when I first started, but um, there are so many resources that can help you. Also, you know, getting coffee with editors, um, just is a smart idea to understanding how editors think. Also asking them just straight up, you know, what, what do you need? What do you want? Um, so, you know, also regularly applying to things can also help expand your resources, whether it's grants, fellowships, mentorship opportunities. Um, my third piece of advice is just be resourceful and never be afraid to ask for help. So I have what I like to call my support ecosystem. And that is my allies, my colleagues, and my sponsors. So your allies are people who you find in groups or associations like uh, Brown Girls Dog Mafia or NABJ New York, shout out, or just friends, um, people, people who are acquaintances. I also have um, my colleagues who are your co-travelers on your career journey, mm. people who really understand your day-to-day -day struggles um, and you can bounce ideas off of. They know, you know, being a freelancer, you kind of have to know how other people are doing it to really stay in the game. Um, also, a sponsor is a person who kind of like a mentor and they also can help hire, you know, like they're like a, a mentor or an editor. 
um, they're really good to stay in touch with as well. Um, and then I'll just say that there are so many resources out there. Um, people, you know, who ask me about freelancing, I always tell them there, there's just so much out there. Um, there are Facebook groups for women of color, looking for women of color creators, Slack groups for POCs with gigs. There's associations that uh, post special jobs, newsletters where you can connect with editors, Patreon accounts um, that gives you pitching advice, even Twitter, Twitter accounts that have job listings and openings. So, you know, you can DM me if you want to learn more about these resources. But what I want people to leave with is just, you know, if you want to go into freelancing, there are so many people and organizations who want to help you. You just have to work to find them and to maintain those relationships. That's really good advice. Um, I freelanced in news for like five, six years. I worked, I did the NBC page program. And then afterwards I freelanced at ABC. And it was like in between them waiting for them to call me to go into to field produce and work. I like, I tempt here and I tempt there, but it's all about building that network. So having allies, like you said, having that network is really, really important. Um, and Katie, you're one of, you're an executive producer for one of the top shows on the CW. And like I was saying, it's one of my new favorite shows. So how did you get there? What can inspiring producers and, you know, what, how can we get to where you are? <laughs> um, a lot of five hour energy. Uh, <laughs> no, I promised my doctor I wasn't drinking that anymore. Um, but <laughs> it was, you know, it's like Attica said, it was not a straight path at all. I, um, I was an economist with the Federal Reserve for 14 years before I transitioned into writing and producing. I, uh, I come from a very traditional Nigerian family. And so even though I knew at a young age, I sort of, I was introduced to Shakespeare when I was about 11 and just fell in love with his plays and performance. And, and that just sort of catapulted me into the world. But again, traditional Nigerian family, my mom was like, that's so cute. Um, Dr. Victoria, <laughs> which one do you want? You have options out of the three. Um, and so, and I had a genuine love for economics and also for paying my bills. So I decided that I would, um, go to college, study economics. I went to University of Pennsylvania, but I made sure that everywhere I went, I stayed connected to the theater community. So even when I was in Philly, I minored in theater arts. My mom did not find out until graduation day. It's okay, she didn't need to know. I still majored in economics. Um, I was directing, writing, and performing in theater in Philly. Um, when I got offered a job with the Federal Reserve, I chose the Federal Reserve Bank of New York because I was literally two subway stops from every black box theater I needed. Um, and so, you know, my early 20s consisted of me getting up for work, landing on the trading desk by 6.30 in the morning, and by 5.30 in the evening, I was out the door, down the street to whatever theater we were either rehearsing in or putting up plays in. Um, weekends were shooting short films and commercials, and it was just anything, anything I could do to keep the creative juices flowing. Um, and I would get wow. so frustrated um, with, it, what it felt when I was out there auditioning for roles um, outside of writing for theater, I would get so frustrated with the type of roles that I was considered right for. You know, I'm like, I'm an Ivy League educated economist. And they're like, yeah, but you're gangbanger number two's girlfriend because you have braids and that's what look. And I'm just like, so, okay. And so I was like, listen, I'm a reasonably intelligent person. I could figure out how to transition from writing plays to writing 
TV and the type of roles I want to see women. Mm. But again, like I said, I also have an addiction to paying my bills. I was like, I can't quit my job because I turned into a whole nother person broke. And so I made a deal with myself that I was going to stay working, but I was going to put myself through my own masterclass. So what I started doing was downloading, this is back when you could get them easily on the internet. I would download scripts by Aaron Sorkin, Shonda Rhimes, Joss Whedon, um, just anyone whose work I'd looked up to, whose shows I was watching it, you know, at night. And I would literally just download the script and then I would record all the shows and I would watch and be like, oh, okay, that's an act break. Okay, you built towards the end of something, mini cliffhanger, you want people coming back. Oh, character tension like this. And I literally would just rewrite as I was watching the shows and studying the scripts and um, spent a couple of years just teaching myself how to write TV because I loved TV mm. um, while still working at the Federal Reserve. And then um, once I finally got to a place where I didn't feel like my writing would embarrass me if I sent it out into the world, God bless my husband because we'd only been married six mm. months and we were living in New York and I walked into the house and I was like, we need to move to LA. <laughs> he was like, oh my God. Okay. He was like, okay, I'm a teacher. I could teach anywhere if LA is where you say you need to be to make it happen. And so we did. Six months later, we I quit my job at the Fed and we moved out to LA. And um, and then I quickly realized, like, oh, they don't just find you and be like, oh, you're a good writer, come work for us. So three months into blowing through my savings, because I tried to be really financially responsible about it. I was like, this is not gonna work. Like I haven't even had a showrunners meeting or a network, you know, I was doing short films. I was doing um, background work so that I could meet crew um, because I'd spent so much time on theater sets, but not on film or TV sets. So I would literally do extra work on General Hospital and then sit next to the DP and be like, what do you do? Uh, Or sit next to like the focus puller. And I'm like, what's your job? Or the gaffer. And then I would make friends with all the like number twos and be like, okay, do you want to get your first DP credit this weekend? Let's go shoot a short film or, you know, the key grip. I'd be like, do you want to, you know, bump up and be, you know, a gaffer or a DP? Like I see you love camera work. And I would hire them and give them sort of like their first department head credit um, and uh, would go to acting classes and just sit in the back and watch and then approach the students afterwards and be like, you'd be great for the short film I'm doing. And I just built this village of people to create independent content with while I was, you know, working full time and just trying to figure out how to break into the industry. And um, eventually those short films did well on the film festival circuit, landed me my literary manager, um, who I call Rick Ross. She also represents Tash. Um, but uh, I'm like, she's the ultimate hustler. And, you know, and from there, I got staffed on my first show. Um, and thankfully, never looked back. I came up on Bones and The Finder, and then um, moved over to Rosewood to help launch that show, The Resident, and then signed an overall deal with Warner Brothers and um, started working with Greg Berlanti. And that's how I ended up show running All American. And then uh created the spinoff all american homecoming and now my new project found for nbc can you tell us more about that new project (laughs) um it is um it is a passion project of mine again speaking to resilience of women and not straight path right this is a project i wrote about four years ago for actually a completely different um network but it was a passion project of mine that it's about a um young black 
private investigator slash crisis manager who specializes in finding missing people of color because no one's looking for them. And she's tired of no one looking for them. Um, and when she was a teenager, she was a missing person that no one looked for and she had to rescue herself. So swore she would never let that happen again. And um, it's just, it's a show that is highlighting, you know, a real issue in our society now, but it's also aspirational in that, you know, I'm like, maybe this will inspire people to actually really start looking for us. Right. Um, and maybe this will draw attention to the fact that there is inequality in the media when we're dealing with this stuff. But I also get to put a black female anti-hero on TV because, you know, as far as she's concerned, the ends justify the means. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that can get a little dicey, especially when she's a black woman. And so I'm just super excited that NBC embraced the project and embraced this amazing black female anti-hero and is, you know, letting me shoot it. So we start shooting in May in Atlanta. I'm super excited about that. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah and we that's heard amazing. it here first in YABJ. There we go. There um, you go. Exactly. <laughs> um, Tash, you're, you've been an executive producer as well. You've been in writing rooms as well. Like, how is it different? How is it different when you're in a writing room versus when you're running the whole kit and caboodle? Like, what are the different experiences? And do you go back and forth? Or are you ever like, I'm, I'm going to be an executive producer over here, but I want to just be a writer over here? Or do those not mesh at all? Um, well, executive producers are writers no on, on television. So, and you're the writer and you're always writing. Um, always, always, if you're the EP. <laughs> because everything kind of stops with you and starts with you. So, you know, you leave the vision of the show. Um, and I think, you know, being on staff versus having your own show, it's a lot different. I mean, for me, I, I'm supporting other people's visions, which actually I really enjoy, you know, helping people bring their visions to light. It's, it's a joy to me. I, I feel like, you know, I'm a part of a team, you know, I played sports younger. So, you know, what that, that feels like, you don't have to be the one making the basket to not feel elated when you win the game. So I like being on staff, but being the EP is like, you're the coach, the point guard and all the all the things, right, ladies? You're all the things. You might be the referee. You don't know, you don't know what you got to do. The guy who fixes the bu bus everybody rides on to the game. Mm -hmm. you, put the, you put the air in the balls. You do it all pretty much when you're the EB. And, I mean, there are so many decisions that have to be made that, um, for whatever reason, comes down to the EP. I was on a friend set who I was the number two for and um the wardrobe head um head of wardrobe came up to her and asked her was the shirt the shirt she was holding blue enough and I was just like what <laughs> and I was like this is insane <laughs> it's a blue shirt but that's really what the job of being an EP is it's like everybody's like just trying to bring your vision to light and that means you're doing a lot of work to also, you know, see that your vision goes, you know, becomes fruition. Like, again, she said, like, she has this anti-hero, but she has to figure out what that anti-hero will and won't do, you know, and every it, it all boils down to you. It can be fun, it can be exhausting, but it's very rewarding knowing that you're, you're telling stories that would otherwise not get told, or if they got told, they would be told so incorrectly. Mm-hmm. 
Attica, is there one, yes, definitely. <laughs> Attica, is there one story you've been wanting to tell that you haven't told yet or that you're working on? Um, um, well, I would say this. I mean, I have to take a moment to talk about this thing I've been doing for three years of my life that's coming out later this year, which is um, for another Netflix project. Um, it's actually an adaptation of my sister's memoir, uh, and it's called From Scratch, and it is a multi-generational, 14-year epic love story uh, inspired by my sister going to travel abroad. And when we went to go pitch the story, we wanted to see a Black woman in her own eat, pray, love. We wanted to see mm -hmm. uh, Black women in different spaces, walking through Florence, but we also wanted to tell the truth of what it's like when we're in those spaces. How is it different when we're there versus Emily in Paris? Like it's not mm -hmm. the same for us. And so I'm super excited about this particular story because it's, uh, rooted in my experience of being a Black Texan, and and also it has this whole element of Italians and Sicilians, like three different languages in the show, and it's just a big, juicy family drama and epic love story. I'm super excited to share it. Attica, do you need a PA? Like, I will do anything to just <laughs> well, sit and watch this happen. I, I can cook. I'll be a craft service <laughs> assistant. I don't care. Like, how could a sister get on? We are, we are luckily in post. We're on the last, we're at the one yard line of post. Uh, but we could have used you. We could have <laughs> used you. Mainly because we could use, you cannot speak, let's just say something about these hard jobs and black women. Mm -hmm. Our sense of humor, our ability to hold stuff lightly. And I don't mean hold it lightly like stuff isn't serious, but you're going to squeeze a laugh out of even the worst of it. That yeah. is also a kind of medicine that helps us get through. And we often are able to do that for each other in a way that there are other women who I don't have the same shorthand of humor with other white women I've worked with or women of other cultures, but the black women, we can look at each other and send it, yeah, this is some bullshit today. And it just <laughs> is a little, it's just like a little thing that, okay, okay, somebody else saw it too. I can kind of, I can yeah. kind of keep going now. Yeah, I get that. Mm. Work, working it has been a it has been a privilege in my life to uh work with with black women as intimately as i have it's just a great privilege amazing if the show is half as good as the book i'm so excited i'm i'm unbelievably excited if you need to have a um you know private screening so tash and i can you know just fangirl we're, we're happy to do it just you I know mean, we have the whole know. guest house we could just i mean okay. exactly bring a cushion right there. She ready we there. <laughs> Ileana, you've worked on documentaries, you've worked for magazines, you've worked for online publications and regular news. What's it been like? What, how has it been different to jump from all these different types of mediums? Yeah, it's been a lot. Um, and uh, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily jump to all those mediums, but I love it. I love doing it. I love doing it all. Um, I will say someone actually asked a question about um, ownership of content. And that is something that has come up a lot actually um, through these different experiences. So I'll talk a little bit about that as well. But um, so yeah, I started off just doing like print news, kind of the regular thing. Then I worked at CBS 
Um, and there I worked on the foreign desk. So I had a really good experience doing breaking news. And a lot of times when you first start off doing breaking news, um, that's the heartbeat of the news organization. Mm. And that's really where you're gonna learn how to get really good at pitching. So I would definitely encourage people who are just starting off to take those, those jobs, you know, that might be less glamorous um, or, you know, even working at um, a place where you can really actually create content. Um, so, you know, I started doing that for a while and then I realized that I was pitching anyway. So that's when I started to do freelancing. So I freelanced for a number of different publications. Um, and then I started doing magazine writing. And when I did magazine writing, that's when a lot of other kinds of things came up that I never thought, um, would happen because there's actually, um, you don't own a lot of the content and mm. a lot of people came to me for stories asking to option my content for their films or um, for you know their own projects. So that became um, another issue that I had um, where I actually ended up getting a lawyer um, who helped me to um, advocate for myself so I could get a producer role in this. So there is like a huge, um, there's a like, just do everything basically. If you want to do something, just do it. Like if you, if someone wants, if come in has their own idea for something, you're the only one that's going to know that idea. You're the only one who knows how to do it. Um, so many people have tried to option a lot of the work that I've done, um, but they either want a white savior in it, or, you know, I do a lot of stories on women in East Africa. Um, a lot of times they come in and they want someone who's great, but they're um, a Nigerian lead or something. So they don't have that understanding. So you're the only one that has an understanding of the things that you're writing about. That's why, that's how you ended up doing this in the first place. So I would say just do everything. If an opportunity comes, just use that as an opportunity to switch, switch around. Um, like everyone was saying, like one thing we're all learning here is that everyone's career path is, you know, winding. So I would say just don't be afraid to wind and to try different things. Um, right now I'm working in production, even though I was doing a lot of, um, a lot of writing before, but, you know, production for me, it's that same drive. Um, and, you know, you're specializing in, you're getting, you're gaining a different skill set, but both skill sets can really help you in different things. There was actually a book recently uh, written about why generalists are um, increasingly um, important in society. And, you know, there's, there's being able to do different things. Like there's so many skill sets that relate to other things and, you know, hiring managers and people are constantly um, seeing that. So I would say this is an age where, you know, you can do just go with the flow, basically. That's, that's what I want to say. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, I, I will add if for people who are, are creating content like scripts or ideas for TV shows and they're looking to protect that material, you can register your work with the Writers Guild of America for $20. I think it's still $20. If you, and you don't have to be a member to do it and you could do it online. So if it gives you a peace of mind that you, and what it basically says is on this date, I told the world I wrote this thing. So if Joe Schmo comes around three days later and says they wrote it, you have a record of the fact that no, you did, and you registered it. So that's Writers Guild of America, WGA.org. Just go to their website and you can find a way to register your work that's your creative work for the TV, film, and stage kind of world. 
that's really helpful information. And what about for those who are just starting out? What are some positions? I know everyone had a different path here, but if someone's trying to get on one of the, your sets or, or get into production at a standard standalone place, like what is that first job? How can people get their foot into the door? Because I hear from a lot of people as part of the organization, they say, you know, I put my application and I applied at Netflix for an internship. I applied here, there. What are some programs or some places or some ways um, that they can at least get their toe in there, you know, as a, a production assistant, an intern, et cetera, or free help? Um, and that's for anybody who wants to answer it. No, no. Well, I mean, it, it, there are always assistant positions, which are the um, but you want to try to get them because you're going to meet everyone in the in the in, in, in on the staff, you know. Um, and if you have wonderful people like and Ketchy and Adakar myself, we'll promote you from there as long as you're doing a good job and you're learning, you're being mentored. So, you know, the assistant jobs, you know, that means you have to find a network of people and you pretty much always say, you know, network across, not up. So the same people who are trying to do what you are doing, that's the, that's the community you have to find because if they can't do the job, they'll tell you about the job, you know? so. You know, if you want to be a writer in TV, you need to find other people who are also trying to write in TV and then together you'll you'll know you'll find all the spots you'll know about all the workshops you'll take the classes. You'll know the competitions and you'll know the assistant jobs that are up and coming, so I think you know find your community and then that's the easiest way to really find um, one of those PA jobs writers assistant jobs on set PA all of that you know that's how you find it. Uh, on my last show, pretty much everybody in an assistant position that I hired, I exactly like what Tasha's saying. I didn't ask somebody at my level. I it was it was I looked to the, the assistants to go, who do you know that's looking for work right now? And so she's completely right about that. That the, I I find that assistants. Uh, script supervisors, PAs, they have their own kind of network and they know a lot of stuff about what's going on, what jobs are opening. And it's right, like things are moving so fast that they may have interviewed on something that they got another job on something else first. So they tell their friend, hey, there's an opening over here. So I, I agree with that. Finding that community is, is, and I've never ever hired anybody based on an application. So it really is finding that network and community. I completely agree. That's the beauty of um, the beauty of, of the industry we're in and what we do is there's no one way to get into it. Like I, I never went the assistant route because I decided to go the no sleep route instead to work the full time job and, and, and while doing this. But, you know, I still landed in the same room. And so, you know, my big thing is the hard work will always beget the opportunity. You just mm. don't know where the opportunity is gonna come from. That's why you put in the hard work and you're ready so that I didn't know my opening was gonna come the way it came. Um, you know, same thing with my assistant. He actually, we interviewed, I met him because he was teaching a step routine at a camp for kids who are adopted. Um, and my youngest son is adopted. And so I, we were introduced just because of that and then found out that he was an aspiring writer. And the first question I always say is, do you have a script? I will always take time to read the script, but I'm reading it once. 
So you can't tell me you're an aspiring writer, but then still be working on your one opus that you've been working on for 10 years and don't have anything to show me because the likelihood that the timing is going to align for me to come back around and ask again is slim. And so I'm always like, just put in the hard work and be ready. Because when that person says, oh, you're an aspiring writer, do you have a script? Your answer should be, which one do you want? I've got this. Yeah, one. I, I was just going to say, yeah, more than like, one. More yeah, than what's one. that? Like, which one? And then, and now I'm like, oh, now we could talk. Now we can, like, you know, and it was, it was a serendipitous meeting. He's now one of the best writers I have on All American Homecoming. Um, nothing made me happier than promoting him um, as a writer. And he just, you know, he studied my voice, he studied my writing, but still maintained his own individual voice. And to me, that's probably, like, he's not allowed to leave. He knows that. I'm like, you can never leave. <laughs> Like, I was like, we're just going to create empires together. That's what we're going to do. Um, but same. And then when I was replacing him as my assistant and when I was looking for writer's assistance for my writer's room, that's who I went to. I went to our, our assistant community. I went to our writer's assistant community, our script coordinators. And I was like, who do you know who wants to be a writer, who's having a hard time getting in the industry, who's a hard worker and a dope person? And that's what I went off of. It wasn't you know, so-and-so got into this program or that program, but there's all these, I'm sure each one of us has a different answer for how we ended up bringing up, you know, people underneath us. Um, that's the beauty. You just, if you want it bad enough, the opportunity will arise. Just be ready for it for whenever it comes. Cause it might require this kind of pivot or that kind of pivot. Or, you know, if you told me I'd start in procedurals, I would have told you you were crazy. I was YA teen angst all day. Like I was like, I'm creating the next Buffy, the next ultimate like vampire love story. I'm doing the next Dawson's Creek. And my break was on bones for years. Um, and so I, if you told me that was gonna happen, I'd have been like, you're crazy, but that's where the opportunity came. And Hart Hansen, who's a phenomenal man and an amazing showrunner, didn't care that I'd never written procedurals before. He loved that I had a voice, a specific POV, and I wrote characters that he cared about. And he's like, the rest I can teach you as you come up here. And that's what he did. Amazing. So what's some advice that you would give to yourself 10 years ago, five years ago? And this is for everyone. Ileana, I'm gonna let you go first on this one. Yeah. Um... So if I were to give myself some advice, um, and yeah, I'll say five years ago, um, I'm, yeah, I would say just know your value um, and be resourceful. Those are sort of the, the takeaways. Um, you know, there is a need for stories that need to be told through our lens. We just need additional resources to navigate an ecosystem that isn't built for us. Um, so I would say, you know, your value isn't what you're paid. Your value isn't how you're treated. Your value isn't even what your ideas are worth to the industry, even though they're worth a lot. Your value is how you define it. I would say to myself that my value is what I was capable of and my value was what I had done despite all of the barriers. And only you know your value um, and you need to learn how to project that value so other people also know it because people don't care. Like I would just operate knowing that people don't generally think about other people. That's just the way that it works. But if you sit down and think about yourself, think about how the news organization is covering things or wherever you're working, think about how you do it differently. Be in constant conversation with yourself about who you are in this industry, then you can articulate those ideas to other people. Um, and you won't be afraid to really let that known um, and then, yeah, and also be patient. Um, you know, there's 
it's always an element of luck and finding things, but luck is when you're prepared to meet that opportunity. So, you know, go out and find those resources. Um, I would say I would give myself the advice of Attica. You will have lots more energy in your life if you don't spend a lot of time catastrophizing about things you don't control. And when you don't have all the information, I've paid somebody a lot of money so I can say this sentence, my therapist, whenever there's like a big decision to make and I'm all worked up, she says, when it's time to make the decision, you will have more information than you do now. So just let it go right now and use that energy to do something else. Go write a scene, go take a nap, but don't spend energy trying to solve when later you will have more information to make a decision and, and free yourself up free yourself up. And I'm going to make a pitch for these people on Netflix with my, I mean, Netflix, Jesus Christ. Why did I say that? I didn't mean that on Instagram. There's a, there's a, uh, an account on Instagram called the nap ministry. I love these people. Oh, I love, the I nap love these people. Listen. Look y'all rest. I go back in the archives and be reading it over and rest. <laughs> That's another thing I would tell myself as a young woman, rest, baby. It's a long road. It's a long road. And it's some ass kicking coming whether you want it or not, rest up so that you're ready to meet the challenge. Oh, that's good. Tash, go for it. Um, you know, 10 years ago, I was what, 12? Um, so. <laughs> we all were. Oh yeah, me we too. I was, a, yeah. I was a fetus. I was a fetus 20 years ago. We were on the preschool playground so, together. Yeah. Um, but I think something I learned about a decade ago um, as my career was just really getting started was that I never have to shrink myself in order to fit in the room. That if I don't fit in that room, I'm not supposed to be there, you know, yeah. and it was a hard lesson, but I mean, I got it 10 years ago and I've never looked back. I don't code switch. I don't shrink. You know, I don't explain myself as a black woman, context clues, ma'am, sir, whoever you are, you know, you'll eventually figure it out and then copy it on TikTok. So I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't define everything and, 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 and speak as if I need middle America or whomever to get it anymore. And I stopped that 10 years ago. And it's probably the reason why I have my edges still is because I realized I don't have to do that to be great. Um, as Ileana said, my value isn't in what those people think. So if, if, oh, this room is not big enough for me, cool. I'll, there's a room through this door, I'll go through that door. So I, that's the one thing I try to tell everyone, you know, embrace who you are and be it fully, fully. Love that. Everything she said, everything she said, I think, you know, the biggest lesson for me, uh, which I probably wish I'd learned a little bit sooner is you're meant to be here. Ooh. that it is not um people haven't been doing you favors and your career has not progressed because people were being magnanimous and doing you favors your career has yeah. progressed because you're talented and you worked your butt off mm -hmm. uh, and you earned every 
every square inch of the office you have and the production company you're building and the shows that you're running. Um, <clears throat> especially because I didn't come into the industry in a traditional route. There, there mm. used to be a lot of moments where I was like, any minute now they're gonna figure out I have no idea what I'm doing and kick me out. And there was always this feeling of must like work myself to death to prove that like, I know what I'm doing. And after a moment, I kind of had to pause and be like, girl, like you're doing it. You're here because of your hard work. You're here because of your talent. You're here because of, you know, the way you do character voices and, you know, the way you can grab everything from the three continents I grew up on and sort of, you know, put it all together in a way that's, that's, um, that could entertain and also change the world. Like it took me a minute to just kind of own my magic for lack of a better term. Um, so I would tell me 10 years ago, like girl, own your magic. You're here for a reason and you deserve the career you have. Mm -hmm. I love that. I'm gonna get into some of the questions we have to one. Um, so someone just wanted to know what was the organization that you mentioned to copyright content and work? They just missed it. So if you could just repeat the name of that organization again. It's, it's the Writers Guild of America. And their website is WGA.org. It is a union, but you don't have to belong to the union to use their service to register your work. Yeah, there's and, a like, banner that says register scripts. Just click that. Okay. And speaking of unions, someone wants to know, is there an advantage to being a union member for SAG, Writers Guild, directors? Yeah. And how do you, when do you join? How do you, what's the process? Definitely well, advantage. Um, and, and that, I mean, you have to uh, be eligible to join. So if, and they all have their own eligibility. Um, SAG is much different from D, DGA to Writers Guild, but, um, you know, unions are pretty much dead in America. We're one of like 1%. It helps with regulating, you know, a lot of things. Entertainment is such a huge um, conglomerate and they would pay us five cents if they could. So the union kind of um, brings us together so that we can, as writers, as directors, as you know, um, screen actors, um, negotiate as one whole body against these people <laughs> and this entity. And so, you know, it, it it's it's great for that. It's also good for networking. It's good for um, finding out information. Um, it doesn't get you any gigs that I know of, but uh, outside of, you know, meeting people there. I, health insurance though, health insurance. Oh, health insurance, pension as well. Um, your health insurance and your, we have really good health insurance. SAG has really, well, they don't have as, as good as writers, but they have good <laughs> health insurance, directors guild as well. So in order to get into the guild, if you go to each of the guilds, SAG, um, DGA, WGA, their, um, the requirements are on there. And, and you don't even have to, they will find you. Don't worry. Exactly. You get a job. That they will be like, congratulations, here's your paperwork. We need you to sign it if you're going to work yeah. for this studio. Well, that's like, good. They'll they'll find find Don't even worry about it. Yeah. Um, so someone was asking, how can um, how can they find people to read their work, read their scripts? Like, is there a group or organization or how, how do you get people to look at your work? Well, there are lots of ways to go about me other than asking your mama. Um, I will say this. 
I've known a lot of people to have success with, with writing groups and also with UCLA extension classes. They are not cheap, but when you get into those classes that are taught by professionals, you that's another community that you can be building with people who you show your work to and you're in a classroom environment strengthening it. And then out of that class, you might realize, oh, I'm friends with this person. We might stay friends for a while and meet other writers through that. So UCLA extension classes are, um, I think, and a great resource that's just there. Now that everything's online, there's no reason not to do it except it costs money. Yeah. yeah. Um, you saw one out- oh, sorry, go writers, ahead. Um, writers boot camp. Um, there's a bunch of other online ones that are um, less expensive than UCLA Extension. Extension, remember it's Extension because UCLA, you got to apply and all of that. But yeah, Extension course. There's also Coursera. Have you guys ever heard of that? The free? Yeah, program? yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with Coursera. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's pretty great. They have um, TV writing classes taught by actual um, professors from USC, UCLA, NYU, and they're free. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's the best thing at Coursera. I'll put that um, link in there. So someone says... um, I just wanted to offer one more um, avenue, especially if you're not in you know, uh, uh, Los Angeles or New York or something is, um, I'm a big proponent of um, film festivals that have writers conferences as part of their film festivals. Austin Film Festival is a classic example of that. Mm. Just even attending and you, it's all about building a network, right? It's all about meeting other writers and building that village. And now you have people to read your work and they give you notes and vice versa. You know, that was somewhere where I have very good friends that even though I was living in LA um, and trying to break in in LA, I met more people and started to develop my village, meeting them at the Austin Film Festival, just attending the writers conference. Um, there was Maybe it was something about all of us being out of town somewhere together and you're huddled over the barbecue and now, you know, and then those people became, you know, my writer family. And those people became people that I started to share material with and that sort of stuff. And it really all comes down to figuring out for you the best way that you can create your network in your village and build from there. Mm. That's really good. Um, we have four more minutes, so I'm trying to get everyone in. Um, another question is, show creator to be here. I have a show that had several scripts written and lots more in our pitch Bible. What is the process to start pitching? Well, oh no, go ahead. Does somebody want to go? Mm-hmm. Okay. No, go ahead. Because there's uh, no there's no easy answer to it. But there's yeah. no easy yeah, I was answer. Like, I don't even start. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I, I would say, you almost have to like backdoor do this because the idea that you would just show up and I've got the whole thing done and they're just gonna buy it is a low probability. And you would probably in something like that need to start with an agent. But a way in, if you don't already have representation, is. Tash mentioned a couple of programs. I know friends have come out of these programs too. They're highly competitive, but they can really lead to either representation or mentorship. Almost every major network or studio has one. You mentioned NBC, Disney has one, ABC, the Sundance Institute has, yeah, Fox has a great one. I know friends who've gotten their careers out of that and and you apply to those kind of, so before you say I've got the show and it's ready to go, you will, no one will take the meeting without the bona fides of, of you have an agent or something. And so one way to back, so put, put, you did some good work, put it in a drawer for five minutes and then find a way to get to representation. So then they can help you make that into a show. So look at these, so we said Sundance, Fox, NBC, Disney, ABC, 
I, there's some just the Warner Brothers, like yeah. Yes, Warner Brothers. Go Google all this stuff. They again, they are highly competitive. I will say when I got into the Sundance Labs, I had to apply twice. I didn't get in the first time. Keep, 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 keep. And um, from that, you the community grows, and a lot of people end up getting jobs or representation from that. You come out of a program like that and say, I got a pilot and I got some extra episodes, people will be listening. And also, like, if you have the the means to, and it, listen, everyone has a, an iPhone now, you can grab, throw lenses on it, everything. So we should be able to figure out the means. But if it's an idea you feel strongly about and it's original and you just want to get out there and everything, shoot a short pilot presentation that you put on online. I know actual executives who part of their job is to go online and find the new hot thing that's going viral, the new thing everyone's talking about. And then all of a sudden you've got content creators who are 12 um, and millionaires because they <laughs> did it all online and now their show is being turned into a show on CBS or whatever it is. So, you know, look for the, the Attica's 1000% right, sort of the idea of walking in with the 12 episodes you have in the show bible and getting the meeting and everything is tough but there are ways that you can through the programs or shooting a two-minute sizzle of that idea and putting it online and it catches someone's attention yeah and now you're being paired with the right people and now you're in the room and then you can mention now that they're excited about the show and want to make it that i already have a show bible and this is what the next yep. two seasons look like yeah um there there will there are all these different paths so and that's she's great bring, bring, in case she's bring up a great path i'm old so i'm like fill out a form put it in no, but you're right. but, it still but works. Issa Rae got her thing off youtube like people do just put stuff out there and and wonderful things happen so, Bel Air, Bel Air was, yeah, uh, yeah, you know. that was exactly, exactly. That was a sizzle yeah. reel that went round and all of a sudden everyone was like, wait a minute, this is dope, a drama, drama interpretation. And, you know, now they're on Peacock making waves. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I put, thank you for repeating it, um, Benita. I put on um, the blacklist, which you can get a good rating. And if you do really well on a blacklist, everybody in Hollywood reads it. Yep. And it's eight o'clock and do you guys mind staying? There's one more question and it's about women's compensation and what's the behind the scenes um, it is. Uh, tell us about the business side of television compensation, what business courses we need to take or basically how do we get paid our worth? And I know that's a, a long one to answer, but. It is, I'm gonna say like, okay, so two things. One is, um, you know, I'm going to speak specifically for showrunners. People often ask me as a showrunner, sort of like what training they need and everything. You get promoted into the showrunner position because you're you're a, a great writer and you have vision and all that stuff. 80% of your job has nothing to do with, I shouldn't say that. It just adds up to more than 100%. You know, 100% of your job is writing. And then <laughs> somewhere there's another 100% that is being the CEO of the corporation and managing the budgets and the, the politics and the people management. I mean, you're... You're essentially the CEO of your television show. So I always tell people, in addition to honing your writing craft, if you want to be a showrunner, I recommend you take a business course. Understand people management and running staffs and how to manage, and I mean, a large staff. They're like between your writing staff, your production staff, your cast, your crew, you're talking a hundred and something people that essentially you're the head of um, and learning their love languages and how to get the best work out of all of them and how to navigate and have those conversations, understanding your budget. So when your line producer is like, no, you can't have that car crash. You're like, but I can, if I move this thing out of this scene, like all of that is gonna help you succeed at the job. So absolutely take business management 
courses if you want to become a showrunner. The second thing I'll say is, especially as Black women, talk about your salary. I'm not saying talk about it on the internet and like post it or whatever, talk but- Talk about it with each other, yes. Talk about it with each other. That's how you suddenly realize, I'm sorry, you're being paid what? Because they paid me yep. this for this job. Girl, go get your extra 20 grand an episode or mm -hmm. go get your, we have to. It's the only way that we can actually realize that we're not being paid our worth or subsequently that uh, an, another employee or something like, I'm such a big advocate for, wait, we can't pay her that because I know what you guys paid me when I was in that position. And even though she ain't asking for it, doesn't mean we should do her wrong, fix it, pay her her worth. Um, and I we can only have those conversations if, we, if we're talking about it and we know about it. Ask all the white guys what they make. Yeah. What they make, get yourself a lawyer. If it could be a lawyer of color, even better, because I, I do not mean to disparage anybody. I'm just saying, when you get a black lawyer, like I, or a my sister's lawyer is 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 Indian. I just think that sometimes we we check stuff, we look for the mm, this don't be sounding right. Where sometimes you can have a great great white dude lawyer who's like, well, that that sounds kind of fine. I mean, I I I, I want to be very careful in what I'm saying. I just think that there are a lot of superstar entertainment lawyers of color, and also entertainment women lawyers of color who I think will advocate from a place that they understand what we are up against and the subtle ways that we're not being offered things that other people are being offered. That's really good advice. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for staying over for the couple minutes to answer that one last question. I really appreciate it. Thank you from all of NYABJ. Have a great rest of your evening. The Sidebar is a production of the New York Association of Black Journalists the Greater New York Chapter of the National Association of Black Journalists. Subscribe now to join us for more conversations and industry insights straight from the source.